Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. Down goes Frazier. Down, Down goes, goes Frazier. <laughs> <laughs> Love that line. Oh, classic. I've been thinking about that all week. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Jeremy Funk with the Tripping Over the Barrel podcast. Tim is alongside me and thrilled to have Shad Frazier with us. Shad, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Shad Frazier, petroleum engineer, graduated from Texas Tech 1996. Been on the oil patch the whole time since then. Bounced around a little bit, but uh, have always loved everything I've ever done in the oil patch. And even to this day, you know, we have our ups and downs, but the great thing about the oil patch is we're always out here having a good time, trying to show each other that there's a better place and a better thing than just uh, the evils that oil is. <laughs> Man, Jeremy, Which fits- we should have had him introduce our whole podcast series. That was perfect. Oh, that was good. That was good. So Shad, you know, one of the reasons we were just talking about this before we started, but one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on is as I sort of view you as an outlier, even though we we haven't met in person yet, I've been following you on LinkedIn for a while. And I'd say you're a little contrarian for this space. Uh, You're very communicative, expressive, sort of an open book. Uh, You use social media and it's, it's certainly appreciated by us. And I know you and Tim go back a little ways. But I think the way that you approach this is is a little bit unique, and that's part of why we wanted to bring you on today. Yeah, in uh, fact, Jeremy, we Chad and I met on LinkedIn. I just kind of reached out, and he said, "Hey, oh. he just invited me in to communicate, and we, that's how we got started." Chad, yeah, no, you know, I've really looked at LinkedIn, you know, as far back as I can remember, as really as a tool to find ways to communicate with people that I would not meet normally. You know, I used it as a tool when I was in Oklahoma City to find ways to communicate with vendors and different technology tools that were out there that wouldn't come to Oklahoma City right off the bat. And it was a great way to just open doors, find ways to communicate with people and really see what other people are doing. You know, people love to put their door sign up on saying, hey, here's where I'm winning. Here's what I'm doing that's winning. And I'm going to post it on LinkedIn and see what people say. And it's kind of grown from there. Is there, are there any other social media platforms that you use professionally? You know, that is where I've been focusing my time. I keep looking at it and you know, I've talked to a couple of different people like, oh, you got to put out YouTube videos. Oh, you got to do this. And I'm like, you know, as a leader inside of a company, I have some restrictions on what I can post and what I should be posting. So I kind of, I get into a point that if I'm on live video or things like that, I probably will say something and get myself in trouble. So <laughs> I try to leave it limited to 120 carat, you know, words and LinkedIn kind of helps me focus my thoughts and bring it, it, bring it back down into a simple point. But I figured the best thing I could do in times like this, where everyone is struggling, where everyone's trying to figure out what are those next steps, is to put words of encouragement out for other people so that they can yeah. think back and really find ways of understanding that it may be bad. Uh, you may have lost your job this week, but that doesn't mean it's the end of the world. You know, I've been there, been laid off in the past, and man, you just the whole world just sucks when that happens. But yeah. how you pick yourself up and how you move forward is all about it. And where do you go next? Yeah, you know, empathy plays extremely well on LinkedIn, but if it's fake nobody gives a shit. It has to be genuine. And and I can see sort of from your following that this is who you are and what you represent. I want to go back to sort of your your history a little bit. You grew up in Greeley, Colorado, right? Yep. You mentioned Oklahoma City. You mentioned Texas Tech. 
Now you live in Midland. A lot of different, a uh, lot of different types of places there. Give me your story. Sure, sure. You know, I grew up with a set of parents that were West Texas born and bred. Yeah. You know, we have our heritage traces back to West Texas before the turn of the century. Grew up, you know, family homestead is in Big Spring, Texas, so just east of Midland. And you know, I grew up coming out here to come see family from the time I was a little kid all the way through high school. But growing up in Greeley, my parents, my dad was in a chemical salesman, but not oil field chemical. He was ag, ag chemical and sold chemicals all across the United States for companies. Mm-hmm. And uh, we didn't know anything about the oil and gas space. And, you know, I grew up in Greeley and I was going, you know, did well in high school, was planning on, hey, I'm going to go off and figure out where the future is. I'm going to go, you know, Top Gun was big. So I'm going to go figure out how to make planes or fly planes. <laughs> I wanted to be an Air Force pilot. I wanted to fly big jets. So I went off to the Air Force Academy. I've heard that story. I've heard that story before. Yeah. I've heard that story before. You should listen to episode one. Okay. I'll have to look into that. And uh, showed up for basic training and I got recruited to play football. So I'm an offensive lineman that got recruited to go to the Air Force Academy, play football. And the first day I show up and they said, here's your schedule. And I looked at it and I said, what the hell is this? They said, what do you mean? It's like, there's no engineering. There's no math. Why am I taking, I'm taking, you know, basic algebra. What's going on? Oh, you're a football player. You're going to be a military (laughs) history major and you're too big to sit in an airplane. So we're going to figure out how you can figure out how to fly dog shit to China. And that's going to be your career (laughs) from now on. And I was like, oh, hell no, that's not what's going to happen. So I walked into the Air Force Academy at 260 pounds on my way to 280. And eight weeks later, I was 205 pounds after basic and walked off the campus. I was on my way to Texas A&M. I was supposed to be a fourth generation Aggie. And on the way, we had a family friend who recruited for Texas Tech and said, hey, stop off. Let's talk to the coaches, see what happens. And I talked to the coaches and the coaches said, yes, we want you to come on, walk on, and we'll help you ever out. Next thing I know, I'm interviewing in between two-a-day practices with this older gentleman who's been in the oil patch for 30 years. You could basically see the oil still underneath his fingernails. And (laughs) he's like, hey, if you go be a petroleum engineer, and you got to remember, this is like 1992, oil's $10 a barrel. And he's like, you go be a petroleum engineer and I will take care of your tuition. And I'm like, okay. I was supposed to be on a free ride to the Air Force Academy and they said, nope, you know, now you're going to be paying tuition. And this guy said, nope, tuition's taken care of. You take care of room and board and that. And so I ended up walking on playing football at Texas Tech, getting a petroleum engineering degree. You know, I played football for two and a half years. You know, my claim to fame was being Zach Thomas's uh, blocking dummy for two and a half years. Nice. Uh, you know, MVP, NFL, uh, middle linebacker and, uh, you know, had a lot of fun, but I realized that I had a, I had lofted disease, which most people don't know what that is, but uh, that's lack of freaking talent. And <laughs> so uh, I, I figured out that it wasn't going to be something that I was going to be able to do long term and turned it around and said, okay, being a petroleum engineer is not going to be too bad. Focused on yeah. the grades and got out of there at 96. You know, the oil market turned around. And by the time I graduated, it was, you know, recruiting was a crazy place. There was 111 graduates in the United States and there was something like 3,000 jobs. So everyone everyone was looking for engineers. No one had enough people. And I got five offers from five major companies. And we joked about it. It was, you know, at those days, there was a movie that came out from Tom Cruise called The Firm. And it was about this guy who goes off and gets recruited out of Harvard to be a lawyer. And 
all these big firms come and offer him a job, but this little bitty firm out in South Carolina offers him a job. Oh, yeah. where he, you know, but they basically work for the mob and the mob owns you if you work for the law firm. And that's what it felt like. I, you know, Coming out of college, I went off to all these big majors and they gave us great offers and you know flew you in, dined you and all this. And I ended up going to Anadarko, which was at the time a much smaller company on its way up. But they were like, oh, we're going to give you a car. Oh, we're going to give you this. Oh, we're going to give all you right. that. You know, all this stuff is going to be great. And then you get there and you get locked into the chains and you know no pay raises in three years and you know, a company car gets taken away and all this other stuff. <laughs> you know, great experience, great company. But you know, you never know when you sign up what the future is going to be. So- that's a great segue into the whole topic of this conversation on recruiting. So we were talking about this time. It's going to be very interesting for all these guys that are coming out of school right now. You know, what are they going to do for jobs and and how are our clients and, and the operators going to be recruiting in the future? It'd be interesting to kind of, you know, get your perspective on those the kind of the ups and downs of recruiting, maybe your recruitment, but also the things you've seen over the last 20, 30 years. And then, you know, if, if you go through that, I've got a couple of ideas too, Jeremy. Yeah, I've got a. We've got so many stories to share. I mean, everybody on this call, I know for sure, is, gets hit up by recruiters consistently today, and kind of always has. And also, we're on the other side of it where we're doing the recruiting. So th- there's so many mishaps and stories that we want to get into. And Shad, you're currently in a role where you hire people, right? Yes. You know, I, I don't do a lot of direct hiring because I have staff underneath me that the people work, work for. I have done a little bit recently where we've reached out and hired some managers and I'll hire those. But yeah, it's, it's one of those things, final say on who you bring in and you know, trying to get the right people on the bus on the direction you're going is so important. And the interview process is always interesting because sometimes you get deep into understanding people and other times you hit so skim level on people and you miss some really bad speed bumps that you just yeah. don't pick up in an interview. So, yeah, But sometimes in those interviews, it's, it's painfully obvious. Also. Oh, so much so. You know, I did uh, college recruiting for a better part of eight <laughs> years. And you know, every fall I would go around and we used to call it, you know, the road trip, you know, hell tour because we'd go from Texas A&M to Texas Tech to Colorado School of Mines. Oklahoma and, you know, hitting each place up and, you know, work as a booth babe for one day where all you do is you stand in front of your booth and you're out there trying to sell your company and you'd have 300 students coming up to you trying to, you know, pitch themselves for a job. And you sit there at the end of the day and you go, oh my goodness, I don't even remember any of these kids' names. And I've got this stack of resumes and now I got to figure out who's the eight best of these kids that I want to talk to tomorrow. You know, so many fun experiences meeting people. I still remember, you know, going into one of those career fairs. And at that point in time, I was working in a role that was very specific and I needed a specific type of person. And I had a kid come up to me and hand me his resume. And I looked at it and the kid was a 4.0 student, was all these activities, you know, you could tell that no one had ever told this kid no in his entire life. Because he had always succeeded in everything he did. And he handed me his resume and I looked at it and I was like, number one, you'd kick the ass of anyone that's working for me right now. And I know it'd be a good hire, but I don't really need that right now. I need something different. I need the farmhand kid that knows how to work and is working, you know, ready to get behind a plow and do stuff. Not the super engineer that's going to be in the office and write new code and solve problems and be a reservoir engineer. I need someone that can you know, work on a wrench, work on an engine. So I kind of looked at the kid, looked at his resume. And then I handed it back to him and said, I appreciate you coming in. I appreciate talking to you today, but I don't need you. And he looked at me and he goes, what? (laughs) You don't need me. And I'm like, you're not what I'm looking for today. You're going to be so bad that you didn't pick me. I I need, I know I can do this job. And I was like, you don't even know the job. It's just, 
make sense for what I'm hiring. And he's like, oh, you, you're going to be so sorry you didn't hire me today. And I was like, okay, well, thank you for playing and we'll move on to the next player. So, and, that, and that kid is the CEO of ExxonMobil today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm sure I probably missed out on it. <laughs> the thing about drawing that line in the sand is, I guarantee that there's a your pass will cross with this. The industry is small enough. You're going to definitely that kid's going to come across your desk again, and you're going to remember that conversation. He he might as well just shot a, shot a toe off right there. It is one of those things. It's super small, and you are going to run across people. And I may have made a mistake that day. But we all make them in the oil patch. It's just a matter of how do we recover from them and how is that kid going to recover? He's going to get a job somewhere that year. And, you know, when I was going to that school at that time, my main goal was looking for the diamond in the rough is what I always described it. You know, it's that Aladdin line. You know, you're looking for that kid that no one else sees. So what's your go-to question? How do you find that guy? You know, that was where that question came from. That is, what is the hardest decision you've ever had to make in your life? And when you ask a kid uh, that question, there are so many answers you can get. And some of them are, you know, some kids have had pretty easy lives. And then one of my favorite hires was like, well, the hardest decision I ever had to make in the life is I had a judge offer me the opportunity to go work and go to the army or I could go to jail. And I made the choice to go to the army and figure out how to be a mechanic. And I hired that kid. And, you know, this is a person that was rough. You know, he had neck tattoos, he had hand tattoos, you know, stuff like that. But I will tell you, he was my hardest worker. And even to this day, we still keep and communicate. And he was one of those people that when we he went out to the field, he could talk to anyone in the field at any time and everyone would open up to him and talk to him. Where if you get some engineers, they get to the field and no one, you know, they don't talk to the people and he doesn't, you know, the field doesn't talk back to them. So, you know, it's all about trying to find that right match for the right time in the right spot. Yeah, exactly. I've actually, you know, it, in some of the hiring roles, I've had people ask some ridiculously embarrassing questions, even some that, that did a pretty good job vetting the whole time. You know, they ask their whole set of questions and maybe somebody said, hey, if, if you don't have any more questions written down, maybe just come up with a question on the spot. So I've had people be like, okay, so uh, great. What, what else is left in the process? And I, I'll say, well, you know, we, we have to go to HR with this and call your references. Some people have asked, is there a drug test? I'm like, oh, <laughs> nice. there is now. There is yeah. now. You know, uh, yeah. One of the you know, one of the right common there. one of the common questions that is is kind of famous in the sales world is you know the the sales manager will hold up a pen or a laptop or a mouse or something like that and look at the sales guy wannabe sales guy and say sell me this pen so, the Wolf of Wall Street line yes oh, and yeah. the whole thing and I've seen it done a whole bunch of different ways and of course now it's so famous that there everybody's got a pat answer they're ready for that one but oh yeah you know. oh yeah yeah one of mine was uh, and this is you know classic engineering thing. But I would ask, you know, an engineer, you have a clock face, you have the minute hand is sitting at 56, the hour hand is sitting at 11, how many degrees of separation are between the two hands of the clock? And oh my God, you would see people just oh, fall you- apart and cringe. <laughs> and just, oh, what do you mean? I, I got to calculate something right here, right now. And it's like, yeah, I, I'm asking you a simple question. You got an you know, hour hand, it's at 11. You got a minute hand at 56. How many degrees are separating the two? And there is so many kids that could just, you know, and this was a classic question for someone who was in completions. You know, as an engineer, if you're on a frack job, you got to be able to make decisions instantly from the best of your ability. And I wasn't always looking for who could give me the best answer, but I was looking for who wouldn't fold under the pressure in, in a tense situation. And yep. there were kids that would just, oh, no problem. Draw it out. Okay, here's the answer. And then other kids that would just literally fall apart and the rest of the interview could not get their head 
pulled straight for the rest of the interview. And you it's get, like, you okay. get some, you get some people off the tracks and they, they cannot pull themselves back to it. They're, he's probably still, they're still calculating the whole time. Okay. Wait a minute. It's a circle 360. Okay. Wait a minute. Yeah. You know? So interestingly, I think my dad is kind of like that. So I remember he's the kind of guy that could just we'd turn on Jeopardy and he would just rattle them off one after the next. But he even admitted that this may be one of his challenges. When he gets that one wrong, he can't get off of it. He goes back to why was he wrong about that? Where did it come from? And in that time, he just missed three or four questions. Right. So I was like, dad, you should go on this. He's like, no, I think too much about the one I got wrong. (laughs) I would miss the $200 question and I'd lose it for the rest of the episode. (laughs) He knew. knew. Oh yeah. So Shad, so when did that, uh, I'm I'm queuing you up for this, but when has that question gotten you the answer that uh, eliminated somebody? So, you know, especially when you're dealing with the, the eight kids you had, and I'd always describe it, I'd go back to colleges and go ahead of my time to interview and teach kids how to interview and how to prepare for these things. But when I would get that question out there and I was always looking for, you know, how do I find that one right student? And I found one, you know, there was one time I met this female engineer and asked those questions and she was rock solid. Never, you couldn't phase her, you know, and one of these kids that was super intelligent family, she was raised by a reservoir engineer going to Colorado school of mines, but you know, asking her those questions, she solved it. And then I was like, well, what was the most difficult decision you had to make? She's like, well, you know, in high school, I had to decide, do I stay in regular school or do I do go to art and design school? And so I decided to go to art and design school and I figured out how to make kitchen ovens in Ecuador for families so they could have kitchen ovens where they didn't have to cook inside their homes. And I mean, this story just went on and on. And I was like, oh my wow. God, I've got to have her. So, and of course, you know, this is one of those classic stories of where you find someone that's like that. And I hire her, I bring her into the, you know, to the company and the CEO comes down to me and says, okay, the New York Stock Exchange says we need to send one of our interns to work with them for two weeks. They get to, we're being listed on the New York Stock Exchange. This intern's going to get to have a week or two weeks in New York figuring out how the stock exchange works. Who do you have that has any finance? And I was like, well, I got this one. And he's like, okay, send her. But I was like, well, she's a little bit different than the rest. And he's like, I don't care. And she had a lip ring. She had dyed red, <laughs> black, or red hair, flaming red hair, goth makeup. And the first thing I told her about this, and she's like, um, I don't have any clothes to go to New York and do this. And it's like, my, you know, the first thing I had to do was send my wife to, with her to the mall and buy her business clothes so she could go to New York and go you know, spend a week on the stock exchange. And I was like, oh, don't screw this up. The CEO is going to be so pissed at me. So, wow. you know, you find those people sometimes and, you know, you finding the unique person for the right role can be so rewarding. At the same time, it's so damn difficult because you blow that up so many times you make mistakes. Yeah. Have you ever been, when you've been recruited, have you ever been kind of put on the spot or have you been shadow recruited where you're, you've been put to a test and you didn't even realize you were getting recruited? Well, you know, the job I'm in right now has been very rewarding. I came to this company four years ago. And when I started it, I was actually walking into the company as a private equity, trying to get private equity funding, trying to get a startup running. And try, you know, I had a group of four people that were working with me and we were like, all right, we're going to get a company started. It's 2016. It's a good time to get things rolling. I walked into that company looking to buy assets mm-hmm. and talked to the CEO, trying to convince him that he needed to sell me his crap assets that he had that you know weren't going to do anything for him. But I think I could do something with a small outfit. And I got a call you know, a couple months later saying, you know, you need to stop raising money for yourself. You need to come raise money for us. And I was, and 
you know, I felt bad because I had my guys and my team, but we had no funding and I'd paid four months of Cobra. And I was like, you know, I'm done. I'm tired of paying Cobra, you know, and not having any income. It's time to figure out what the next option was. And, you know, I joined up with the company I'm with now and man, it's been a great ride ever since. Well, that's a cool story. I was just, it was reminding me of, you know, I, I did a lot of demos coming in, coming through. And, you know, I remember once being called into a, another software company to do a demo of my old stuff. And it turns out, you know, as soon as the meeting's over, the owner of the company says, uh, Hey, Tim, why don't you come back to the back room with us? We'll have lunch and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. And here I was thinking I was selling our software to these guys. (laughs) And uh, sure enough, he says, we'd like to make you an offer. And, And so the whole demo process was just a ruse, just a complete test. They had brought me in and they had no interest in what I was, was selling. It was just a, Hey, we just want to see, see you and see what you do. And it's like, I mean, I was, of course it, it didn't work out. I was very, very angry. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, I'm okay with getting recruited. Just don't shadow recruit me like that. Let me know what, what I'm doing. Cause I, who knows what I would have said in that meeting, but of course it didn't work out. So that was good. Yeah. So Shad, let me ask you this. You are pretty, pretty adept at technology. Keep an eye out for innovation in the upstream space. W- would you consider coming onto the software side, starting up a product where you see some deficiencies or do you see yourself more as a, someone that's going to be on the operator side going forward? You know, I think the, that's going to blend in this industry. You know, the, the issue I was talking to someone about the other day is that at the level I've gotten to inside of the oil and gas space, there's really only about 160 jobs. Yeah. And there's going to be a point in time where there's not going to be a seat at the table and I'm going to have to figure out what the future holds. And that's when, you know, the software side is probably going to lean more towards or finding, you know, how do I fit into a different part of this industry? You know, I'm going to ride this ride as long as I possibly can because I enjoy it so much. You know, I enjoy working with the field and working with the people. But what I really enjoy is, you know, how do we provide for the staff the right tools and the right capability so that they are leveraged better. You know, I still remember going back into, it was 1998 and I had an IT director come in and it said, okay, you like building tools. You like building software tools. I'm going to put something on your desk and I want you to break it. And I'm like, okay. And he put Spotfire on my desk. Nice. And, and you know, this is back when we were just happy to have Excel. And I had built basically an OFM light in Excel and I put that Spotfire tool on top of it. And all of a sudden I had this visualization tool and I could find all sorts of data points on magic was, yeah, it was literally, we were finding information inside of our frack database of all these frack jobs of what was working, what wasn't. And we could find evidence of what was and what wasn't working instantly that we never could see before because of the cloud and the mass of the data. And that's, that's really what I've always enjoyed about software is that it creates clarity out of the noise. And that's really where we're at inside of our industry is that there is all sorts of noise. We all deal with that noise every day in all the amount of data that's coming into us. And so it's about how do we find ways to bring clarity and focus into that data and let that data speak to us fast and efficiently so that we are proactive instead of reactive and stop waiting for things to fail for us to fix them. Yeah, absolutely. As I get a notification that the rig count decreased by 17 this week down to 301. Shed, <laughs> let's do some rapid fire questions here before uh, before I turn it over to Tim. Tell me your top three favorite restaurants in Midland. 
Oh, okay. So uh, we went to Grubbs for lunch today, and that's just that's family favorite. It's right around the block. So we go to Grubbs, the Italian restaurant that's at Midkiff and Wadley. It's a little bit. It's old Midland. Been there for Luigi's. No, no, no. We're not talking Luigi's. It's the one, the Italian restaurante that's just kind of back behind uh, as you go down Wadley. And it's basically to the east of Midkiff. And it's a classic Italian restaurant that makes world-class steaks, but no one knows about it. Only the locals go there and you can always get a table. So it's it's always been a classic favorite. And yes, Luigi's is always downtown Luigi's. You know, my wife was a Midland League rebel. So, you know, she knew about this town before I even knew about this town. And I, I would fly out here on a company jet and we would work out here for eight years. And I'd fly down here for the day and fly back. And I would go to Luigi's on my way back and pick up a pizza and have it wrapped up and get back on the company. Oh, nice. I would buy one for her and one for the plane. And the plane would eat the one pizza and I'd have the one and take it back to her so she could have Luigi's pizza at night. So those are my top three. Man, that's awesome. I've been to Luigi's. The other two are are newish to me. Also, what what's it called? The... Um... The garlic press? That's yeah. a good one too. It is. Yeah. So Shad, the other day, Jeremy and I recorded a kind of a demos gone wrong kind of thing that was no fault of our own. So kind of a little pet project. We both done a bunch of demos. Do you have any recollections of a demo that someone came in to pitch to you and it just completely fell apart <laughs> for one reason or another? You got any, any good stories like that? I, I feel like you've seen so much technology come through. You know, I laugh at the fact that, you know, you never know who, what you're selling, you know, your product and you know what you're selling, but most of the time those salespeople come in and they don't know what your background is or where you came from exactly. And I love the fact that I had a demo come in with a software company that was selling me a demo of my old wells. Yeah. And oh. I knew everything about that asset, knew everything about those wells. And I was sitting there looking at the data as they're trying to bring it up on the screen and they're showing me stuff. And I was like, wait a second, that's not right. What do you mean it's not right? I was like, you've done something to this data because that well is not that good. That well sucked. And you're showing me this great well with this great curve where everything's perfect. And I know that well was a piece of trash. And they're like, what do you mean? And it's like, I operated this field for 10 years. No, it does not look like that. And so, you know, that's the worst case scenario for a salesman where the the buyer knows more than the salesman does about what he's showing. So <laughs> well, I, yeah. I've been there too. <laughs> it's, it's all, it's one of the things that uh, it's always a risk from a sales perspective. You want to show something super relevant to the person you're talking to, but if it's too relevant, if it's too close, then they get spun off on, Oh, Dangerous. wait a minute. That looks like that well slugging. You need to be, you know, okay, well, we're not talking about slugging. We're talking about something else. So anyway. Oh, yeah. right. Totally. Making assumptions is is dangerous. Making no assumptions at all, though, could sometimes be lazy, right? So there's probably a fine line, but I mean, Chad, that's a that's a great point. It's like, oh, you, you think you know more about this than me? This is me. I live this. <laughs> this is just something you're looking at on a map. Oh, yeah. Um, and the worst case scenario for that, I mean, you guys talking about in demos, you know, I did BD for a good two years and you'd go into a, you know, a presentation from a BD group and they'd be talking about wells and talking about this great asset and talking about these decline curves. And then you're sitting there sitting back and not saying anything going, I'm not paying anything for any of this because you're lying to me. I know you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> That's a terrible asset. Yeah. You know, Shad, it's funny you mentioned Spotfire, and I don't know if you know my background, but I started in Spotfire in 2000. I was the first uh, oil and gas employee there. And we went to an, a very large oil and gas company, and they gave us a spreadsheet of their their data. And I threw up a scatter plot, and this outlier just kind of flew up to the top of the screen. It was way off. And 
And when we showed him the data, this one point came up and he got the VP of whoever sitting out there and he, he cannot, he has to understand why is this one asset stuck out here on the side the whole time we spent the rest hour, we completely got sidetracked and never were able to get back to the process of trying to really, Hey, do you need this software or not? It was, it was pretty interesting, but you know, we yeah. ended up not, we're not getting that deal at that time, but you know, it's, it's the danger of showing us something that is theirs. Oh yeah. You know, nothing worse than having someone say, well, here's my data, show it to me. And you have no clue where it's going to take you. So <laughs> that's right. Fantastic. All right. Well, uh, Shad, thank you so much for coming on today. Hopefully people enjoyed the exchange, the discussion and the perspective that Shad was able to bring us and uh, look forward to the next episode. Thanks a lot, Shad. Thanks, Josh. And if you're looking for me on LinkedIn, you know, uh, hashtag is always lessons from Big Texan. We go out there. I typically try to post at least once or twice a week, just, you know, affirmation messages about positive things, you know, industry things, and just how can we work better as a group and as an industry to help each other out. Well, good on you, Big Texan. Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye.